This is the Think LA podcast from Los Angeles, the center of advertising, marketing, and media. Part two of our automotive discussion series. This episode is sponsored by CarGurus at CarGurus.com. As the business of automotive continues to restart across the country, we've created this series of webinars that are going to tee up this year's Automotive Summit on October 21st. These sessions discuss how marketing, media, and data help automakers drive their businesses through unprecedented times in the automotive industry. This second edition, discusses how the dealer and automotive consumer purchase model has evolved in rapid fashion in just a few months. During this webinar, we'll hear from key stakeholders across the OEM, dealer, and automotive online marketplace space and how they've adapted, evolved, and successfully navigated this new automotive retail world. Our moderator is Tyson Jomini, VP Data and Analytics for JD Powers. We'll also be hearing from Laura T. Barnes, Vice President, the Thompson Organization, Eric Peterson, Marketing Communications Manager for the Lincoln Motor Company, and Spencer Scott, SVP, Advertising and Digital Marketing for CarGurus. Again, big thanks to CarGurus.com for sponsoring this episode. And for more information, events, and webinars, please go to thinkla.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Automotive Discussions webinar series. I'm Don Lupo, Think LA Executive Director, and we're so glad you could join us today. Before we get started, a few reminders. This Tuesday, we'll be hosting our annual SheSuite event. This year, we'll be talking SheSuite in color, and our ex expert panelists will be discussing how women of color are making strides in the C-suite. Tickets are still available, so please head to our website to register today. In a few weeks, we'll be hosting our virtual entertainment breakfast on October 8th. We'll be discussing the future of entertainment and how companies and studios are rewriting the script. Join us as speakers from Sony, Fox Entertainment, Fandango, and more bring their thought leadership to our community. And of course, our big auto summit is going virtual on October 21st. This is going to be a can't miss educational opportunity with speakers like Allison Witherspoon from Nissan and Lisa Matarzaro from Toyota. Tickets will be available today, so please head to our website to register now. And when you visit our website at thinkla.org, you can register for our newsletter and find out more about upcoming events and programming, including webinars and podcasts. You can also go to our site to learn about membership. If you are already a member, thank you for renewing. You're supporting ThinkLA's mission to the community with your membership. We're already planning more members-only events and benefits in the coming months. And before we start, I really want to thank CarGurus for presenting this webinar. CarGurus helps you find great deals from top-rated dealers at cargurus.com. Thank you so much. During the conversation, please submit your questions via the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen, and we will address them at the end of our presentation. Please welcome Matt Budkey, a client partner at CarGurus, to let you know about today's program and our panelists. Matt? Thanks, Don. Uh, hi, everyone. As Don mentioned, my name is Matt Budke, uh, West Coast Client Partner here with CarGurus. 
Um, before I get into what to expect at today's webinar, I just want to give a special thanks to uh, my fellow ThinkLA Auto Summit Council member, Derek Hand, uh, and ThinkLA's very own Marcy Booth um, for all the work they put in to make this possible. So thank you to both of you and a uh, digital clap towards each of you. Um, now onto why, uh, why we're all here today. So today's conversation will focus on how the automotive retail uh, model and, and industry in general has really evolved over the past several months. Uh, we'll hear from industry leaders across varying aspects of the auto landscape uh, in terms of how their business has, has been challenged and how they've uh, continued to evolve that. Um, so in terms of the agenda today, we'll start by opening up with the latest market research and insights presented by our both host and moderator, uh, Mr. Tyson Jomney, who is the VP of Data and Analytics at JD Powers. Uh, from there, we'll jump into a discussion with our panelists, um, again, hosted and moderated by Tyson. So the panelists will include Laura Barnes, uh, VP of Thompson Organization, Spencer Scott, SVP of Strategy and Operations at Cargurus, and last but not least, Mr. Eric Peterson, uh, Marketing Communications Manager with Lincoln, a Ford Media, Ford Media Company. Um, and without further ado, hope you all enjoy, and I'll pass the baton to Tyson to go ahead and kick things off. All right, well, thank you. I appreciate the, uh, the invite to be here today. I'm going to uh, share my screen, so hopefully you guys can see it. Maybe someone from the, uh, the team can say yay or nay, they're seeing me right now. You see my screen? We can. All right, perfect. Well, I appreciate the, the opportunity to be here today. As mentioned, I'm Tyson Jomini. I'm the VP of Data and Analytics at JD Power. Of course, all of you on the call here probably know JD Power, uh, the trophies, the awards. You know, you see it on on the media all the time. I'm on the other side of the house of JD Power, so I'm not the quality side. I'm the data and analytics side. And what we do is we get all of our data uh, directly from 16,000 dealers in in the U.S. and Canada, each of which is a submits to us their, their DMS data, their transactional level data, what's going on in the marketplace. We get about uh, 6 million transactions a year on both the new side and the used side of the market. And each one of those transactions has about 500 different data points attached to it. So we're swimming in data. Thankfully, my team is a bunch of data nerds. We love data and, and you know, we can't wait to share some of our findings with you here today. So looking at the industry in 2020, you know, where, where are we? You know, it, it's, been, it's been a year and I, I would say it's almost been a hell of a year so far here. So what's happened? I really see there's three acts that went on here in 2020. Uh, the first one is the beginning of the year. As we started the year, we were coming off five consecutive years of 17 million plus sales in the U.S. auto industry. I mean, uh, sort of a, a record plateau that we were coming off of. And through February, things were going very well. In fact, you see on the page, we were slightly above water. And things were going really well until March 11th. And every time I give this, this talk or something similar, I mention this date. This is the most critical date, perhaps, of, of many of our careers, certainly in the past 20 years. March 11th. 2020, remember nothing else that day. That's when Tom Hanks announced that he had coronavirus. Uh, he came out and it kind of took us all by storm. We didn't know if coronavirus was going to be here or not, but Tom Hanks, I mean, the guy that, that taught us how to socially volleyball by that announcement. I mean, it, it's hard to go back to that time, but the NBA suspended its season. The NCAA canceled the tournament. And even Disneyland closed uh, within 24 hours of that. That was March 11th. 
and by, by March, uh, that weekend, that Sunday, March 15th, March 16th, sales had fallen 38% by that Sunday. virtually fell off the industry. And now as you see on the page here, through March and April, we were very low and flat in our performance here. I mean, we were down 43% uh, at one point on a retail basis here. And that's really act two, and we'll get into that and what the automakers did during act two that really kept us from going into the abyss. I mean, these numbers are way better than we saw in other parts of the world, like Western Europe and China, uh, but automakers took action. And then that led to where we are today and what, what we've been seeing here really since June um, we, we've been running right around that 10% decline range on a year-over-year -year basis for retail new auto sales. We've kind of been stuck there, and we're stuck there for a very legit reason. But that, that's essentially where we end Act 1, which is, you know, March 11th, everything changed. And so as sales collapsed, automakers had to do something. So we'll get into that in a second. Where are we? Let's just real quickly add up all the pieces. So on a year-to-date basis, retail sales are off 16%. So again, as you saw, we were off about 43% at the lowest point. We've been kind of running in that 10% range, adding it all up. We're off about 16%. Now there's two elements on this page that really stand out to me. One is that rural markets are far outperforming Northern and, and the coastal markets here. So you look at New York, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing declines on year-to-date basis somewhere in, you know, the, the 20 to 25% range or so. New York and Philly, very similar results. Chicago and Detroit look really close to each other. And, and out west, where you, know, where you guys care about the most, LA, San Francisco are both off in the 20% range, uh, very similarly. So, but who's winning then? Well, Sunbelt markets, first of all, from Phoenix to Charlotte, Miami, uh, the food markets, the Texas markets are all outperforming the national average. But as you see, when these coastal markets, when Chicago, New York, and LA are all underperforming, that means the industry is relying on much smaller markets to carry it. And it's not just smaller markets, it's rural markets. So the more rural you get, the better the market's doing. I mean, you think if you're in uh, Missoula, Montana, or uh, you know Lincoln, Nebraska, two markets that are performing very well, coronavirus may not have reached you very quickly. And yet the, what we see on the next page here, and we'll get to is that automakers were launching these huge incentives uh, on their vehicles and it came to your market and you may not even have, have known anyone that, that was impacted by the virus by this point. And yet here were these incentives that showed up. And this is really the essence of act two of our story. The automakers struck back, you know, the middle part of the trilogy. We all love trilogies. This is the Empire Strikes Back version. Automakers came back with incentives and they did it with one type of incentive in particular, which is the 84-month loan. They were offering 0% 84-month APR offers. I mean, 84 months. I mean, it's one of those numbers that requires you to use your fingers to count. How long is that? Um, and in some cases, they were doing up to six months deferrals. We're talking 90 months to repay an auto loan. I mean, that's longer than, than some marriages last. In 90 months, seven and a half years, it'll take you from you know, this recession almost clear to the next recession. You know, if recessions come every, every eight to 10 years or so. It's a really long time loan that we implemented. Um, as you see, that's hugely expensive too. We saw record incentive spending levels here in April. We went up to almost $5,000 a unit. That's, you know, compared to a year ago levels, it's almost $1,500 higher incentive levels in April. And that's really what kept us from the abyss. I mean, these 43% decline uh, metrics that we were seeing, that was really good news because at the time we actually thought we were going to be off 80%. And so these actions, these incentives 
really kept us away uh, from the abyss. One more type of incentive that some automakers ran, which was assurance programs. So if you lost your job during the recession, these automakers would cover your payments for up to six months. So it wasn't just that we did APRs with with uh, payment deferrals. We actually did a different kind of incentive during this time, which really gave consumers that assurance that they could be out there buying a new car at this time uh, of, of history. And so we ran those programs though, clear through about May. And then we found out that one, these programs are, are pretty expensive, but two, we're running out of cars to sell. And we'll take a look at that uh, as, as we get to act three. But first we'll see, you know, what have consumers been buying during this time? And it's actually changed fairly dramatically. Um, you know, working our way from the bottom up here, I mean, where are consumers going? Well, they're following the dollars, they're following the incentives. The biggest vehicles, uh, the, the trucks and SUVs had these type of 84 month offers and that's where consumers went. So if you see here, the trucks, uh, large pickups, mid pickups were down only 3% on a year to date basis, which is just an amazing result, especially given how tight inventory is on those trucks. Um, but beyond that, I mean, look at the next results here, the next five or six results, they all have the same word in common, SUV. So SUV sales were right behind trucks in terms of performance this year. So who's not winning? You know, who, who's on the losing side of the equation here? Well, you know, cars, sedans. I mean, look, look at where the cars are. Cars were already in a weak position and they've gotten even weaker. I mean, during this time at the peak, we saw 78% of sales were trucks or SUVs. I mean, that, that's approaching 80%. That's the 80% is the number of dentists that recommend dentine. Um, it's, it's a near impossible metric you know, quite to get to, but that's where they've got, that, that's how dramatic the change has been here in terms of what we were buying. So we sold so many trucks and SUVs during this time that look at what happened to our inventory. Our assembly plants were down. Our inventory on a year over year basis here in May, fell 1.3 million units from a year ago. Inventory got extremely tight. Now, as we got into June, we saw the incentive spend started to really dial back. And that's a result of, of this metric here. We ran out of cars to sell. This is new vehicle inventory. Uh, we were down and it's gotten a little bit better and it will continue to get better throughout the year. But that's really the defining element of what we're seeing here in act three of our story, which is there are no new cars to sell. And not only are there no new cars to sell, we went over and bought every used car we could find and we sold all those too. We basically sold out of used cars. Uh, so we, we are trying, we're chasing inventory right now, doing everything we can to build more cars and get them to dealerships or find more used vehicles out there to sell to consumers. Uh, so you can see we really moved into the use space, you know, starting in May and in June, uh, we were selling a lot of used vehicles to replace that new inventory that we, we didn't have anymore. Um, and, and again, we basically have sold out of all of, of both types of, of cars that we sell our dealerships. So what does this mean for, for you and me? What does this mean for consumers? What are we seeing? Well, first, you know, if you're a dealer and you don't have a lot of inventory, things aren't coming in as rapidly as you're used to, you're not going to deal as much. So we're seeing dealer margins start to go up and, and go up, you know, fairly dramatically here. Um, you know, we're seeing dealer margins going from, you know, basically a little bit north of zero on a front end basis now to, you know, nearly $750 higher than, than what they were just a few months ago. And not only that, but of course, transaction prices have gone up. On a year-over-year -year basis, we were seeing 7% increase in transaction prices in August. And again, that started when inventory got really tight in May, transaction prices took off. So it's a combination of, of lower incentive spending by the automakers, as well as you know, lower negotiation from 
uh, from consumers or from dealers uh, in, the, in the price, about a quarter of it still is the, the transition to trucks and SUVs. So, you know, just the, the market environment doesn't fully explain the change here. Um, but three quarters of the change is coming from the fact that we don't really have a lot of cars and, and trucks to sell. So we're coming into the, the home stretch here. Just have a few more quick hitters here to kind of set the stage for, for where we are. Uh, so adding it all up, again, we see that, that five years of 17 million plus. Um, and, and sort of a, a, a time period um, where, where things were, were extraordinarily good. And now we have this coronavirus. So where are we? Well, we're certainly not anywhere as bad as we were in 08 and 09. And you look where those results were as, as we go back to the Great Recession. We were down to 10 million annual sales. We're thinking this year after taking the, the hit, we're going to come somewhere out, you know, upper 13s, right around 14 million SAR for the year. So things are, are not great, but they're also not really that bad. Uh, we, you know, we, we peered into the abyss, but we did not let the abyss peer into us. So that's the sort of the conclusion of, of the, the story that I'm telling here. I have three facts I want to share just about what has shifted in the market real quickly. One is who is buying. So uh, we go back to the, the previous recession, the Great Recession. Um, as the recession went on, more and more of the buyers in the marketplace were the oldest demographic consumer. So what I'm showing here is the age buckets of consumers in market that, that bought a new car and how it changed relative to the, the prior uh, 12 months before the recession began. So the oldest demographic, the red line in the last recession was, was well above zero. In fact, as the recession went on, it started going up eight, nine, 10 percentage points above its, its pre-recession level. And who really suffered? The youth, uh, those when, when credit was cut off last time, the, the youngest consumers couldn't buy cars. You see that blue line, how, how down it is. Now fast forward to today, what's going on over the past six months or so, the complete inversion of these metrics, the oldest demographic tends to be the ones most susceptible to coronavirus and they've stayed out of market. So they're mostly staying home. Meanwhile, it's the youngest consumers that are carrying us forward. I mean, the 16 to 35 demographic, I mean, as, as marketers, as, as people targeting, uh, you know, this, this demographic, this is like, um, uh, this is a, a pretty interesting finding. I mean, the, the youngest consumers, the one we want are the ones that are now growing their presence in the market as a result of, of coronavirus. Two other quick, quick facts. So one of which I get asked all the time is what has coronavirus done on the shift to plugins? And the answer is nothing. Um, of course, we've had lower fuel prices uh, during this time, but, but look at what's really winning. I mean, I, if you asked me two days ago, what fuel type is winning during coronavirus? I, I would have said, I'm, you know, I don't know, probably just hybrid or something. Diesel, who knew diesel is, is actually, outperforming everything else. It's a, it's a growth fuel. Um, you know, I, that really caught me by surprise, but then right behind it is it's just plain old, decade old technology hybrids are growing here. In particular, the RAV4 hybrid uh, has become Toyota's number one selling hybrid. And, and along with the CRV hybrid that launched, are actually growing the hybrid uh, share of industry a lot quicker than, than, than the hottest section. I mean, you think about what we really talk about here in the industry, the plug-ins, the, the BEVs, the full electric vehicles, the, the, the uh, hybrid, uh, plug-in hybrid versions here. EVs are flat year to day. I mean, 1.6 to 1.6 and plug-ins are actually down. The plug-in hybrids are down two tenths. The space that we talk about the most has been completely flat to down. I mean, this includes Tesla. This is all in. I mean, you think Tesla is a great sales growth story. It's not coming from the US so far, guys. Maybe Model Y will turn it around, but if you're out there thinking that, you know, for some reason, Tesla is lighting the industry on fire. 
year, year to date share is flat to last year. Uh, and finally, one more, one more thing I get asked a lot, and it's a really difficult question to answer. In fact, I haven't seen a lot of people come up with a better answer than, than what we have here on the page, which is what has happened to the digital sales environment in the US during coronavirus? And it, it's tough to answer because we don't really necessarily know closely how many sales were, were fully digital before coronavirus. It's a, it was about 10% was, was sort of the, the best guess here. What I did was I, I turned around, instead of it being a decline from, from last year, I turned around and say, well, what are we selling as a percent of last year? And I picked two markets that were nearly completely shut down, one of which should be pretty close to home for you guys, San Francisco. It's a little bit better story than LA, that's why I included it. Um, another one was Pittsburgh in a state uh, you know, Laura's from, from uh, Pennsylvania, and she, she'll talk to us a lot about her home market, but Pittsburgh was fully shut down during coronavirus, along with California. So, so both areas where consumers were staying home, there was nothing going on. The one difference between the two was that California was able to complete online transactions much easier. Pennsylvania had a difficult time uh, getting a lot of the notary uh, available during, uh, digitally during coronavirus. It took a long time to get that online. And so for the most part, the differences between these two markets was just that one was able to do online sales and the other wasn't. San Francisco ran about 30% of normal pace during coronavirus, which to me is a, a great proxy for how many digital sales were we doing during this time. We were doing about a third of normal volume, fully digital during coronavirus, during the peak of it back in, in late March into mid-April. So that's the best guess that I have, I have seen out there as to how the industry has evolved towards the digital space. And that really concludes you know, the, the opening piece here, and I'll invite the, the panel to start uh, turning on their, their monitors and, and start to uh, come here. Um, we can transition over, over to the panel now as we, we bring everybody uh, online. Uh, you know, what we're really here to talk about today is that, you know, both dealers, automotive consumers, uh, everyone has gone through just such a rapid transformation here uh, in, in just a matter of months. I mean, some consumers are finding themselves uh, doing transactions online that, that they've never dreamed of before. I mean, from, from you know, people being able to order a margarita delivered to their house that I like to talk about, all the way to fully buying a car and having a car delivered to their house, doing it all from, from their couch. Um, you know, and, and some of us have, have never really done business this way. Perhaps others of us, you know, are, are fully used to this. Uh, but one thing's for sure as we start to talk here is that, you know, dealers will continue to play a, a very vital role and dealers and automakers, you know, in, in the, the automotive retail environment in the United States. Um, but, you know, this role is evolving and it's something we, we want to talk about here um, as consumers are buying new, used, and uh, certified pre-owned vehicles. So with that, I will uh, invite, the, invite the panel in and certainly, um, you know, give you guys a, uh, a chance here to, uh, to introduce yourselves and, and say where you are and, and sort of what your role is. So I'll start with Laura. And if you could uh, make sure you're off mute and uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you, Tyson. Thanks for the slides. They were very interesting. Um, so I'm, my dealerships are outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So we were definitely at the bottom of the curve that Tyson showed. We were doing zero sales for several months and it was quite hard. Uh, we were totally shut down, except for the fact that our service departments were able to be open because they were considered an essential service. But, um, in the dealerships, uh, I handle, I oversee a lot of the marketing. I do a lot of customer service and satisfaction, uh, a lot of training, which took a new, went to a new level this year because so much of it had to be virtual. 
And I'm also trying to push us forward all the time with growth and technology. So it's everything pretty much consumer facing that I tackle within our dealerships. Okay, thank you. Uh, now I'll go to uh, Eric Peterson from the Lincoln Motor Company. Eric, you wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks Tyson and thanks for having me on. Really excited to be part of this panel. Um, yeah, what I do is I manage all the marketing communication for the Lincoln brand. So that's everything from media to creative to digital, um, even, even brand content and alliances that we have with our partners. So think um, events and activation. So it all falls under, under my team. And uh, you know, this is the, the slides that you shared were certainly, they're very interesting and certainly consistent with the things that we've seen. I, I've been in this business for uh, close to close to 30 years, and there's really never been a time that I can remember anything like that, where the amount of pivots that we've made over a you know 30, 45, 60 every week, a different pivot was happening because you know the need to stay relevant and and on target was unlike anything else. No one knew what it was going to look like a greater reliance on digital. And so it's just uh, for a luxury brand inside of a big corporation like Ford, it was, uh, it was a journey unlike any other and uh, really excited to talk more about that and just the business in general. So thanks for, for having us on. Sure. And, and finally, Spencer Scott uh, from our, our host, uh, Card Gurus. Hello. Thanks for having us. Um, so my name's Spencer Scott. I'm responsible for revenue and strategy at Card Gurus. And for those of you not familiar with Cargurus, we're an automotive listing site. I think what um, makes us interesting, not only can we bring a lot of data to the conversation, but we're the largest endemic site. So we see the majority of car shoppers in the U.S. We also have a free service, which means that whether a dealer is paying or not, their inventory is most likely on our site. So we see the majority of the inventory in the U.S. So we see that interplay between supply and demand and how that has changed through this, this interesting time that we find ourselves in. Okay, Spencer, we'll, we'll stay with you here um, as we, we jump into the discussion. I mean, we, you know, I think we've all experienced a, a, a bit of whiplash or, or shock during this time and, and, and a lot of change. I mean, what, how has COVID permanently changed uh, either your, your company moving forward or your, your go-to-market or, or how you do your job? What, what do you think is something permanent? I think the, you kind of see digital retailing on the horizon and you know, auto is the, the second biggest purchase that most consumers are going to make. You know, we knew the digital transactions were coming, but it was, you know, a five year, 10 year plan for that horizon. I think what we've seen is this, this pandemic has really disrupted the status quo and everyone's moving faster down a digital path. And as a digital first company, What's really changed for us is just the speed in which we have to integrate with our dealer partners and the solutions that they're trying to bring to market so that we can try and bring the consumers, they come through us as the front door, as far into the transaction as we can. And it's happening at a much faster rate than we expected. We're grateful for it. We think it's, it's where the industry needs to head. And we also want to ensure that our dealer partners are successful. So we're ready, we're ready to help in any way that we can. Okay. And then Laura, I'd, I'd ask you the same thing. I mean, what, how, how has your job or your, your go-to-market changed, you know, permanently as a result of, of coronavirus? Well, from going from being shut down to um, 
all of a sudden we had to be, we had no choice to be 100% virtual everything. And we couldn't do anything at first because quite frankly, as mentioned, the state of Pennsylvania wouldn't even allow us, our, our showrooms were closed, but they wouldn't even allow us to deliver vehicles at people's homes because you had to be there with a the notary. That meant too many people uh, at someone's home. They weren't comfortable no matter how we served it up. So we were dead in the water. I, I sort of refer to these past couple of months as a tornado. It was just a crazy tornado that just kept touching down and moving and we had to learn how to move with it. And that was really a challenge. So here we are, we're trying to help our customers who really didn't even know if they wanted to buy a car, um, but some of them had to out of necessity. And we also had to figure out how to train our people while we were virtual. And while we're having a hard enough challenge working with the consumers from a virtual standpoint and making that shift, which is a necessary shift. But then it came to how do we communicate with our employees and train them virtually? And our industry can be antiquated in many ways. So that was really a huge, huge channel, keeping them focused, uh, keeping everybody adhering to everything. Uh, when we finally could open up to make sure that people had a comfort level and we started with our employees because our employees were so, so important to us. We just wanted to make sure they felt safe and they had to exude a certain amount of confidence when they spoke to people. And then we needed to just portray that to um, the consumers coming in and just sort of followed their guide of what made them most comfortable. You know, besides the obvious disinfectant everywhere um, and the mask, et cetera. You know, we, we covered the steering wheels with plastic and we wiped down every car before someone would get in. We don't do test drives with people anymore. We still don't do test drives because it puts two people too physically close. So we kept doing a lot of pats on the back with our teams because we all were learning this together. And they, you know, it has a lot to do with having a good culture and having a good DNA within your business that everyone's willing to trust you and follow you. And so that was the core was our teams. Real quickly though, before I uh, ask the same question to Eric, do you do test drives? You just don't do them with consumers. You let them take a car out. Correct. We now, we had to change almost every process we do. We now, um, you know, get folks registration and their insurance information to allow them. It's almost like giving them a loaner in a way. But the interesting thing is, instead of talking through the car while people are in the car, we would talk them through the car before they went for a drive. And so that was in a way part of the product presentation process and doing it a little bit sooner than we normally would. But so our customers are very comfortable going out on test drives by themselves. And it's, it's working, it really is. It's become a non-issue where it did start out as a big issue. And Eric, I'll throw it over to you. I mean, this is just a, you know, real easy warm-up question, same thing. I mean, what, what from the OEM side, give us the OEM perspective on, you know, what, what's changed permanently here? What, what should we be looking at? Well, I mean, I think it's it's changing permanently. I mean, things that already happened that happened that really became, um, I guess, I, that became front and center um, were things that were already being worked on. So this was really a matter of, I would say, speed by and large, matter of, of change in speed uh, and change of in terms of breadth as well. Things that that you're offering. Um, the thing I would like that I, that I was really thinking about is that it wasn't just what you're saying; it's how you do it. So there this combination of not only your, your the behaviors that you had as a brand and behaviors that you had as a company but then how you message those a, a commercial that was aired that we were airing 
in in March with Matthew McCutcheon. Within from the 11th to the you know as you mentioned the 11th to the 18th becomes became hugely irrelevant. People weren't interested in that escapism. They wanted to know about you know what your brand was doing in a time like this, and that's why you know to me you saw a lot of very similar looking advertising for a while. It was you know subtle piano in the background. We're here for you. We're in it together because that was the that was the thing that you could rely on and. You know, for us as a brand, we, we leaned into behaviors, things like pickup and delivery, remote transactions that we were already working on. So I would say it's a lot of it has to do with speed and then also this breadth, having, having you know, not just focused on the vehicle today, but that whole ownership experience. And that is became more important by the day and continues to be. So that's kind of how, how we reacted to that. And that was really large how the company reacted as well. So Laura, Eric just mentioned the, the change in, in advertising. I mean, how, how did that impact the, the dealership? I mean, are, are you able to um, advertise deals still in the, in the digital environment or are you guys focusing on, on aspects other than, than perhaps just the deal? So initially, um, our whole marketing focus was getting it out on all our digital devices, whatever they might be, to tell people what our COVID safety precautions were. We wanted to clearly communicate that and we kept saying over and over and over again you know we've got this covered come on in you'll be comfortable and so we had to we had to make people feel confident to come in or even if they were just reaching out to us and we were going to deliver the vehicle to them to let them know that we've taken every safety precaution but you know we pretty much changed our whole focus to purely digital and of course we got even better at our analytics looking at absolutely everything that was working and what was stronger and, um, and yeah, of course, we immediately put whatever incentives our manufacturers gave us up online. And we use digital retailing tools so that people can take the process. Fortunately, we got that online for almost all of our dealerships before COVID hit so that they can go through the process of almost buying the vehicle online. Well, they can go from start to finish if they want to. Most people stop before they get to the very finish end of it, but they can build the car. They can figure out the model. They can... Uh, value their trade. They can look at the incentives. They can figure out if they what their payment's going to be, whether it be price or whether it be financing or leasing. And even we put more and more F&I and financing insurance products online and information about that so that they had an indication that was going to be pretty darn close of what their payment was going to be. So it helped even more with the transparency. And that, that was going to be my follow-on question is, are you more transparent now or less as a result of this? Well, I'd like to say that we've been trying to work very hard to getting closer and closer to being as transparent as possible during the entire time. But naturally, we are even more so. So everything, like everyone, catapulted us way to the front of the line of getting our act together. Now, Spencer, you've been listening to this. You've heard the OEM side, the dealer side. I mean, we're talking about pianos playing in the background and, and quality and touch points. And how, how does Car Gurus uh, thread that needle? I mean, uh, you know, how, how are you guys dealing with that environment? I think it's a, it's a complex question. I mean, I, I would echo the things that I heard. We saw our, our national OEM advertisers, you know, coming to us fairly quickly, wanting to change, creative making sure they were getting the right message in market. Uh, the dealers acted fairly quickly. And even thinking about the basics, am I open? You know, my hours have changed. Um, are you gonna be safe when you come into the dealership? 
So I think though, if you, you fast forward to kind of where we're normalizing now, we do see greater interaction with dealers that promote the ability to deliver. We don't think that it's changing the consumer behavior. You know, the early adopters are still the early adopters and consumers are wanting to go into the dealership when it's safe to do so. But it seems like they feel more comfortable when they know that home delivery is an option. Right, so they know that they can go all the way through the process. And you know, contactless um, services, the majority of our dealers have taken advantage of that. So we've, we've changed the site in a way that makes it easier for the consumers to understand what their dealership experience is going to be when looking at a particular vehicle. Now, Eric, I mean, to, to build on that, I mean, the, you guys are, are now building some fairly high-tech products. I mean, uh, the, the technology available in, in any car in general, but, you know, some of those beautiful interiors you guys are putting into, into your Lincolns, I mean, it, it almost requires now dealers to be more like genius bar workers at Apple than, than salespeople. I mean, how, how are you able during this time to, to try to get the, the retail body to, uh, to really promote those, those features uh, at a time when it's increasingly more difficult, really, to, to even demonstrate that? Well, I mean, it, it's a, that's a complex question and, and, a, and a really good one. And I think some of it has to, we, we've had that challenge for a while, right? So therefore, um, having, having you know, dealer partners be able to walk through some of the complexities is, is, is certainly critical and probably some of the best way to be able to inform. Because one thing to watch, oh, it's another thing to read a bit of text where someone can do some say and help you with that, that's, that's a critical element. But we have ramped up some, some tools to help kind of not only just to explain things, but allow people to shop. So for example, we've created a, a Lincoln Showcase. We had some experience centers in Los Angeles and in Dallas, and during COVID, they were not active. So we thought, how could we quickly make some changes to our business, things online, and basically treat those like appointment walkarounds. So we'll have that, we have that, that ability at today. And that's one of the things, one of the ways we've reacted to it. Now, certainly there's tutorials and, and leveraging your YouTube and um, how-to videos. Those are the types of things that people want to do some remote, even before COVID. You, know, you get home and it's like, what did that, what did they tell me? But those types of reinforcement tools are probably as critical now as they ever have been. So we've been evolving our processes and our shopping but I think it's a good complement to the to the activities that the dealers do. So Spencer, um, kind of a broad question, and, and hopefully there's a number of different answers and, and ways we can go down here. I mean, what 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 do you think is the the greater threat to the industry right now? Is it ride sharing, lack of ownership? Is it these new technologies that that we're trying to to sell? Um, is it you know? the alternative retail model that some of the new entrants are bringing, or is it work from home? I mean, is that our greatest threat right now? What do you sort of think? I don't, I mean, there, there's a, there's a short term, long term and very long term. I think right now the, the supply chain is backed up and I think that that's hurting dealerships, you know, inventory across all markets we see down about 25%, but you know, turnover is, down by 50%, so they're selling cars faster, but that means that there's a constant decline in inventory. So you have un, unfilled needs from consumers. I don't think that's healthy. More long-term, I am worried about consumer credit. 
I think we've, you know, we've thrown a lot of credit at people. There's a lot of people that are unemployed. And this is one of those strange shocks to the system, like in your slide, when the consumer, when the financial crisis happened, it was systemic. It happened across the board where this has particularly hurt a portion of the market. I think we're not out of the woods with that. I think there's, there's going to be, you know, unemployment numbers are going to stay like this. Credit's going to start tightening. And that's, that's going to hurt the market. I, I think more long-term, people are going to drive. I think, I, I think that, you know, autonomous driving, ride sharing, I think those things are farther off. I'm more worried about economic recovery for our industry than I am about some major disruption happening that's changing consumer behavior. Okay. I mean, the Fed, the Fed said yesterday, 0% rates until, uh, you know, we all have grandkids or, or something. I forget what the exact words were. Um, and it seems like credit's pretty loose. I mean, Laura, how do you respond to that? Is, is, is credit tight or should it be tightening? I mean, how, how do you view that as a, a dealer, a retailer? Well, I, first of all, I agree with everything that Spencer said. We're seeing, you know, I have the same concerns as Spencer does. Um, we are, we've seen a, a, an interesting dynamic happening. At first, when unemployment rate was there and folks were getting the $600 a week, I'm gonna say, sadly, I saw people using that money to come in and buy cars. And I say sadly, because I don't know that that was the best thing for them to do with those dollars. So that gave us this bizarre bump. Um, but now that that's not in the case anymore, we are finding, and we are in a really good market. We don't have many credit issues with our customers. We are seeing more credit issues. We're having a harder time getting people bought. And we are concerned with these loans, um, 84 months. I mean, we won't even go there uh, because we, we need a viable business. And you know, 60 months is really pretty much where we want to be. We'll do whatever the customer wants, but we're going to guide them away from that because it's in no one's best interest to go there. I am very concerned about the economy going forward. I feel that regardless of what happens with COVID, and I'm in the Northeast where it's cold, so I think we have some more issues than there, uh, some more deeper concerns than there might be in LA. But I'm concerned, I feel like the, um, the economy has not quite caught up to reality yet. I think the stock market is holding things at an artificial pace, so we still feel pretty good. And we're all pretty surprised that we feel this good. I just don't know how long that's gonna last. So we just live every single day by day, week by week, month by month of just making the best possible deal with it. Knowing if we have to shut down again, we're gonna be far better off to handle it. I just hope the customers will be there if that's the case. Okay. Uh, and Eric, our, our OEM perspective on the situation, I mean, what do you think is the, the biggest existential threat we're facing? I, the the unknown. I mean, it's really I, Laura and Spencer both hit on it. I think we were constantly. I think we we over relied on data to, to some extent, which is a weird thing to say. But you look at data, and it could almost guide you. It almost got to the point where I, if I did X, I knew that I would get Y in return. We became very comfortable with that because you could make very, you know, very unemotional business decisions largely on data. And what, what's happened over the past, you know, seven months is been, um, you use data to guide, but it's, it's the business acumen, it's understanding, you know, getting a sense for where you think things may be going, pace, consume, potential consumer 
changes what might happen when it gets says what happens if there is a wave two i mean no one predicted where we're at today happening the way it's happening um to some good and to some bad i mean there was a, so i think it's the unpredictability in the near term that has most the most anxious because um we we're not an easy it's, it's not easy to pivot you have to we learn that that's one of the keys to success in this time but it's certainly not easy um, I've only got so much, you know, creative in the can that I don't have to go out and film. I only have so many um, remote services that I can go to. So I think the um, the uncertainty is the thing that that um, that has me the most the most worried in in the near term. So fair enough. Um, we have time for one more of my questions, and then uh, Don's going to come back here and uh, take over with with questions from the audience that we've been getting in during this time. I mean, my last question is. The other thing that we've really been seeing here in 2020, the one thing we, we kind of haven't hit is, is the social justice movement, the Black Lives Matters movement here. Um, it's been an enormous uh, story here in, in, in the 2020 so far. Um, you know, and I recognize this is, you know, let's be honest, four Caucasians talking about this on a, on a conference here. Let's, let's address that elephant in the room right now. Um, but are, are there tangible steps that, that any of your companies are taking or, or maybe you personally uh, are taking, uh, you know, the social justice area. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy that. I mean, it, it, you're, you're right. I mean, it's something, I mean, this has been just such a year with so many things happening and, and the whole social justice component of it is, is front and center. I mean, there's just so many things. And, and to us, it's a matter of, you know, listening and, and acting. So there's a bit of, you know, really trying to take in what's happening and, and trying to really be open-minded about what's happening, but not just listening and, and hearing, taking actions. And we, we've done some things with our, with our partner on the, on the Ford side, the Ford Fund, and some, some tangible actions there. But also as a brand, too, we think it's as important to, to you know, every, every person, person of color, um, that, they're, that we have to act accordingly. So what you see in the work that we do is, is, is things that are relevant across the board and actions that, that, that really respond to what, what's happening out there. But it's, it's just the beginning. I mean, this is something that, that is going to take some time and it's going to take consistency. Uh, but as a brand, it's something that's very important to us as the Lincoln brand and as a company as well. Laura or Spencer, you guys have anything to add? Well, I, I will say that um, we have found, we have found us, a higher intolerance from people, and quite frankly, a little bit more of an elevated level of anger. Um, when people come into our showrooms, there's just attitudes, and whether it's from uh, issues related to social injustice or whatever, um, it's hard. I mean, everything is draining and everything is hard right now. And we actually, as crazy as we are, as busy as we are, we took the time to do uh, civility training across the board with all of our employees. And it gave them some tools to help understand, you know, to be empathetic, to understand that someone might walk in different shoes than you do and you don't know what they're going through. And to just greet people with a smile and to just listen, listen to what it is they need, listen to what they're asking for. Don't be ready to pounce on them with a product to offer them. Just stop and listen to them. And we speak very highly that your actions are um, far more important than your words are. And our employees have thanked us for it because I think everyone's a little bit confused right now and they're just looking for some guidance. And it's just respect and empathy and doing unto others as you would want to be done unto yourself. Yeah, 
And, and I can echo that. And we are, we have a very community driven culture at Car Gurus and realizing that we're not advocating enough. We're not amplifying the unheard voices enough. So Cargurus has really leaned in as a company led by our exec team. And we're spending a lot of time in training and, and thinking and just trying to come out of the other side of this, um, a better servant of our community and, and just help, help where we have been unable to help before. I mean, we've always donated money and done volunteerism, but clearly there are systemic issues happening that particularly large organizations like us in our market, we're in Boston, uh, we can be more influential and we're using that influence we believe for good now. So just have to keep it up. Yeah. All right. Well, great. I've got a, uh, got one question here that that's come in. Um, speaking of the, the work from home transformation, um, how, how are you seeing that impacting what is, is going on with your businesses? Um, maybe, maybe we'll start with, uh, with, with you, Spencer, since you're, you're still uh, unmuted. Um, what, how's work from home impacting you? I mean, I see we're, we're in your uh, what, living room right now with the, uh, the really cool fireplace behind you. Yeah, thanks. Well, I would say, one, it's, it's and I, I'm maybe at a different life stage. I go to 13-year-old that turned 14 over the summer and a 17-year-old and spending all summer with them, you know, eating lunch with them, eating dinner with them. If they were going stir crazy, but I find myself fortunate. You know, I, I think my kids uh, were slipping away pretty quickly, going off to college and getting to spend more time at home. I think more on the company side, we have been surprised how effective we have been as an organization working remote. You know, we have a, this strong collaborative culture, so hallway conversations are really important. But, but it's not just with us. We see it with our dealers, with our advertising partners. I think we went through this massive global experiment where everyone's like, let's work from home and see if we can be effective. And everyone's been uh, incredibly effective. For me, the more interesting thing is, what are we going to do in two or three years? Like, are we just all going to march back into the office and start polluting the environment again by all driving because we don't want to take public transportation. So I hope we've learned we can get back to collaborative space, but we also just don't think we have to march back to the way it was. No, I'm not staying at home for two or three more years. I promise you that much. Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, are you finding that consumers are, are searching for uh, shorter leases? Are, are, you, are you getting that kind of take? Are we looking at 24 month leasing? Are we looking at lower lease mileage? You see anything like that going on in your data? I don't know if that was addressed to me as well. I mean, yeah, we do yeah. see, yeah, or we Laura. do see, we do see consumers, you know, changing on term. But I think as Laura already touched on, it's actually going in the opposite direction. They're they're looking for low payments, so they're looking for crazy long terms. But um, one of the things that we saw is that traffic went up significantly. So we wanted to be very cautious that it just wasn't people sitting at home and perusing the website, intent to buy has gone down a little bit, but still 90% of the consumers that we survey intend to buy a vehicle in the next 30 days. So the demand is certainly still there, even though traffic is up, I think we're just suffering from this supply problem. So I see Don's here. That's, that's the start of the Oscars music here coming over. Uh, it looked like Eric, you were, you were about to say something. Did you have a comment on that? No, I mean, I, I won't take up too much time, but yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that we're seeing, you know, 
in addition in, with the whole work from home and so many more people home is just the media consumption that changed so much. It's really just, I mean, as if there wasn't a, a, a booming nature for streaming and, you know, full episode player type things, that, that, that type of content just exploded. And so making sure that your, your ads and your content is relevant in all those different spaces, we saw that from a consumption basis for sure. Now, again, it's not changed 100%, but it is, it's the acceleration of changes unlike anything we've seen. So. All right, I better turn it back over to my host or they're going to uh, give me the real hook here and, and cut me off. Don, I'm gonna turn it back over to you. Sure, thank you so much. Uh, one question we have, uh, what are the key indicators for forecasting unit sales for 2021, knowing that the pandemic will be looming? Uh, do you expect digital transformation to continue in the auto retail sector and will it accelerate or slow? I was saying I'm mute to see if anyone wanted to, to jump in on that one. Um, so uh, yeah, certainly uh, it, it's extraordinarily difficult to, to crystal ball things these days. Um, normally at, at, at JD Power, we are a to the unit precise organization in our forecast. And uh, unfortunately, we're now talking ranges of 13 and a half to 14.3 this year alone. Uh, but some of our early indications are that we expect the industry to get back up closer to that sort of uh, 16 million type range by next year, all things equal. Now that is an enormous asterisk on the statement, uh, but we, we do see that things should start, start heading back more towards uh, kind of where we were, but um, what remains to be seen is if we'll ever get back to that 17 million mark. And I don't know if anyone's willing to, to say that we will at this point. Um, and, you know, Tyson, with your data showing the growing importance of the 18 to 35 year old buyers, uh, another question is, uh, what are you all doing to react to these younger shoppers? Have you shifted your ad platforms to target younger consumers? And what other tools are you using to win these millennials and Gen Z shoppers? I can maybe take a swing at some of that. I mean, what I would say in that is we had already been targeting, you know, a lot of those types of customers as we had tried to try to get younger and bring new people into the brand. So I think to me, it's, it's maybe the connection is working, right? It's actually now we have the right products as a brand and the channels that we've been in. So for example, we're launching Corsair. It's our small premium um, crossover. And in doing so, we were already targeting a young customer, but what we're seeing is probably, that a more relevant connection with that customer because of the media and the creative, et cetera, happening right now. So I think it's back to that flexibility. You had to be working on some of this already, but I think you'll start to see a continued evolution in media buying and media consumption as we go forward. Not a complete revolution, but an evolution. Thank you for that. Um, and uh, one more question, our last question, what's the future media mix for automotive advertising with OTT's increasing dominance? I can provide you my point of view on that one, but I, I think, I think there's, a, there's still a role for, for all, right? Well, we, we sometimes we'll have the conversation as TV dad and linear TV, but they all have their, their places. And they all have their roles in terms of awareness building and different brands are at different places too. So you need to, you need to flex and use the, the right media mix that works for you. And like I said before, I think you'll continue to see an evolution. There's certainly more in terms of, of um, you know, content relevance, but things, you know, to some extent, some of that production is drying up, if you will, for some of the new content that given the same type of thing we talked about in production for vehicles, there's production for content as well, which slowed down during the pandemic and is still very slow and very complicated. So things like live 
some of the things that are coming back, I think will have a, have a new kind of prominence in terms of media consumption. So even just the, the NFL being back this weekend in basketball and hockey had some, some types of engagement that maybe we didn't think was going to, going to happen. So I think there's still a role for, for all, but I think you're going to can see a continued evolution and certainly the importance of digital and how you interact with digital and what you message is changing day by day. Okay. And that was our last question. Um, I really want to thank all of you for sharing your expertise and your insights. And thanks to everybody in attendance. This was a phenomenal uh, discussion. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's our last reminder to visit the website at thinkla.org to sign up for a newsletter to stay up to date on upcoming events and industry news uh, such as this phenomenal panel. Again, thank you all so very much. We'll be sending out a survey later today and we rely on your feedback. Uh, we hope to see you at our virtual uh, events in the future. Uh, so please take care everyone and please stay safe. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To find out more about our upcoming webinars and events, please go to thinkla.org. You'll also find information on membership and how we continue our mission of serving the Los Angeles advertising, marketing, and media community. Take care.